Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, May 28th. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Southern Poverty Law Center's campaign for voting rights is set to kick off in Jackson. Then, what's changed since George Floyd's death and what hasn't? Plus, the Mississippi Department of Transportation seeks to expand vaccine access. And a look at Mississippi's blood supply. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Southern Poverty Law Center and its partners launched the Freedom Ride for Voting Rights bus tour next month in Jackson. Over the course of a week, the campaign will stop in several southern cities to advocate for increased voting access before arriving in Washington, D.C. At a press conference, Cliff Albright of the Black Voters Matter Fund says Mississippi's past and present informs the state's symbolic significance as a launch point of the tour. It's significant in a lot of ways, right? It's significant because of the issue of the freedom rise, because of the issue of, of, of voting, because of the current issues. Just Mississippi's process of voting right now didn't require a new voter suppression bill. And so it's significant for all those reasons. There's also this significance. It's not a voting issue, but just think about the, the parallels. People were put in parchment prison, which at that time, at that time was one of the worst facilities in the country. And it is still one of the worst facilities in the country, in parchment. And we've seen that play out in the number of deaths, both during COVID, related to COVID, as well as other things. So those are the types of issues that we will be talking about when we're in Jackson. We'll be talking about what's going on in that state, what's going on specifically in regards to voting rights, but also connecting it to not only do we need state-level change, but we need federal change. We cannot fool ourselves and think that Fighting this voter suppression is something that can only be done on a state-by-state basis. It's got to be done at the federal level. That was the entire purpose of the Voting Rights Act to begin with in 1965. Before that 1965 legislation, Mississippi served as a crucial battleground amid national disputes over voting rights. Barbara Arnwine of the Transformative Justice Coalition notes the timing of the SPLC's campaign coincides with a significant day in Mississippi's Freedom Summer. Mississippi is so important uh, for 
this entire week. I mean, this week is rich. You know, we're starting on Juneteenth, right, which is an important anniversary for African-Americans where, you know, we where, where freedom was finally, quote, given uh, through the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, but people were not informed in Texas until very late. So that's why we have Juneteenth. So we're starting on Juneteenth and we're going to end on the 26th. But one of the big dates uh, in there is the anniversary of the slave, the outright murder of Goodman, Cheney, and Swerner in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And people have to remember that this is a huge anniversary for that uh, horror, horrific, uh, you know, response to young people uh, engaging in freedom, uh, you know, teaching and trying to register people to vote. And so this is such an important, you know, week. And so Mississippi is absolutely paramount, but so are all the other states. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just really wanted to point out that that anniversary of those young people, every time I look at them, 25, you know, so many, so young, they never really lived any kind of major life, yet they gave it all for the right to vote. And we are going to lift them up during this week. And we're going to lift up you know, this continual fight and remember that we are not you know, that even though this is an ugly, you know, historic moment that we're in, that we come through brutal times and that we are prepared like that generation was. We are prepared in this generation to do the fight. The CEO of the SPLC, Margaret Huang, also spoke out against a recent Mississippi Supreme Court ruling that found the state's initiative process to be unconstitutional. She says the ballot initiative is a critical tool for voters to effect change. Uh, Just last week, the Supreme Court of Mississippi issued a decision in a case that actually eliminated the option of the ballot petition, which is one of the most fundamental tools of democracy for people to express their views. It came after a successful push for medical marijuana to be approved in the state, which had bipartisan support. And so it really reflected the will of the people. And that decision is going to have huge implications for for future Mississippi uh, decisions and policies that are going to affect the entire population of the state. So starting in Jackson is a really important statement about the value of democracy to our states in the South and the true risks that we're encountering right now. The Freedom Ride for Voting Rights Tour begins June 19th. Coming up, what policing in the Deep South looks like one year after George Floyd's murder. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Michelle McAdoo, host of Next Stop Mississippi. Join me and Kamel every Friday as we travel the state letting you know about people, places, and events that make Mississippi great. Now, you never know where we'll end up, but I'm sure you'll enjoy the ride along the way. So buckle up and hold on tight for Next Stop Mississippi, Fridays at 10 a.m. only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. One year ago this week, the death of George Floyd at the hands of law enforcement sparked police reform efforts and organizing all over the country. But in the Deep South, the birthplace of the civil rights movement, there hasn't been as much action. MPB's Ashley Norwood reports. 
A year after an officer killed George Floyd by kneeling on his neck for more than nine minutes, a few dozen people gathered at the Kelly Ingram Park in Birmingham. Satora Dudley, executive director of the social justice group Cell A65, was one of the organizers of the vigil. This time last year I was in the exact same place um, fighting for George Floyd's uh, justice. Obviously the trial happened. We allegedly got justice. It's not really justice when he's already dead. Dudley, who's 21 years old, says that Floyd's death is what inspired her to become an activist. This time last year I really was just coming to a protest to come to a protest. Um, and now I'm helping lead a movement. That moment of reckoning propelled a lot of young people in the South to rally for racial justice. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! A protest in downtown Jackson last June brought thousands out to march from the governor's mansion to City Hall, calling for change. Macy Brown, a 19-year-old from Natchez, was lead organizer of the Black Lives Matter event. For a lot of other people of color and a lot of white people, the George Floyd case, was kind of like that defining moment for their understanding of police brutality and a better understanding of the black experience in America. A survey out this week from the nonprofit group E Pluribus Unum finds that Southerners, regardless of their race, have overwhelming support for major police reforms. A majority of the 1,200 respondents don't think lawmakers have done enough since George Floyd's murder. Some activists point to the removal of Confederate symbols across the region as signs of progress, but Brown says she wants to see a lot more. I don't think that there has been nearly as much aggressive police reform as there should be right now. So I think justice more so looks like us not having more George Floyd. Mississippi has its own case of a black man dying after an officer kneeled on him. Robert Loggins died while in custody at Mississippi's Grenada County Jail in 2018. The state initially called the death an accident. Calls for an investigation came after the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting obtained video from inside the jail appearing to show an officer putting his knee across Loggins' neck or head. Jacob Jordan is the attorney representing Loggins' family. These in-custody deaths have come to represent something of a stain uh, in the fabric of this country that we love and hold dear. And so this family wants to help blot that out. In neighboring Louisiana, another family is fighting for justice for Ronald Green. He died after a police chase in 2019. White troopers initially blamed his death on a car crash. Graphic body cam footage that emerged last month shows officers repeatedly using stun guns on Green, punching him and dragging him by his ankle shackles. Decades ago, civil rights activist Hezekiah Watkins says he was arrested more than 100 times. But each time I was arrested, I was afraid because you never can tell when you left, go into a situation, whether you would return, that fear is still there. Watkins was a freedom writer in the 60s, and now he works at the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. As he walks through, he points to his own mugshot hanging on the wall. This is yours too. Yeah. Watkins has been involved in the fight for justice since he was 13 years old. He says young people have always been part of the movement, but he wants to see more from today's youth. I applaud their effort, but I'm concerned because, in my opinion, they are not visible enough. As a lot of things has happened since George Floyd, where are they? 
Last June, thousands were protesting in downtown Jackson. But a year later, though work is happening behind the scenes, the streets are quiet. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between WBHM in Birmingham, WWNO in New Orleans, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. WBHM's Janae Pierre contributed to the reporting of the story. Coming up, a new program seeks to break down barriers to vaccine access. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. There's no single cause for Mississippi's well-documented struggles with COVID-19 vaccine rollout. But the state's patchy public transit systems and broad geographical expanse can make access to vaccine sites tricky. Department of Transportation Commissioner Willie Simmons speaks with our Desiree Frazier about a new statewide program that provides a free ride to a pharmacy or hospital for those who need it. It's working real well. Um, I was told on yesterday that we had transported over 300 folks to uh, be vaccinated. And it is a statewide initiative that we are doing with our partners in the public transit system uh, for a toll-free number that individuals can call and be transported uh, at no cost to them for the vaccine. And I think that is so important because it's so important that if we want to stay healthy, that we get vaccinated. So we're very pleased that the public is responding to it and I'm very pleased also that the commissioners of transportation, along with Mr. Charles Carr and the public transit system, is working to make that part of our support work. How long has it been going on? We've actually been doing this now for about two months, uh, almost two months. When we realized in the rural part of the state, and especially in the Mississippi Delta, that there were a lot of individuals who did not have transportation. And although the health department, along with our health centers and local medical facilities, such as hospitals, were administering the vaccine, and there were individuals who were not able to get there. So we wanted to eliminate that void and create a holistic system where regardless of where you live in the state, if a vaccine operation was going on, you could call transportation department and we would get you regardless to who was administering the vaccine. I I, I see that uh, there are six networks of regional transportation providers. Who are those transportation providers? If I start counting the name, I'm going to mess it up. Uh, but you have the Aaron Henry uh, Center up in Coahoma County. You have the Bolivar County Council on Aging serving Bolivar, Washington, and Sunflower. You have the Mississippi Valley State University, LaFleur County system serving LaFleur County and Holmes. And you have the Central uh, District serving individuals here in the Jackson metro area. And then we have them on the Gulf Coast, uh, Hattiesburg, and in East Mississippi. 
So they're all over the state. And you did mention that there are some instances of hesitancy. Although you're dealing with the transportation portion of it, have you been able to convince folks or encourage folks to get vaccinated? I'm real grateful to say that I I personally uh, have had some communication with a few individuals who were reluctant and hesitant about taking it, and we were able to move them to a more positive mode, and they went and actually had gotten the vaccine. And called, a couple of them called me back to say, because of your encouragement, I went and got the vaccination and vaccine and have not had any kind of problem as a result of it, so I want to thank you for doing that. And that's what I'm saying to you and the public that's listening to us today. Uh, it is better to take it than to need it and not have taken it because it's kind of like insurance. If you have an accident or have a loss on your home, fire, or whatever the case may be, if you have not had accident, it is detrimental. And oftentimes, it is impossible for you to overcome it. Same thing with the vaccine. If you have had it, based upon all of the medical experts, uh, they say to us that if you have had it, the symptoms and the impact that it has on you is not as detrimental, and it will probably save your life. So like we go to the insurance agent and buy insurance, let's do the same thing. Let's buy some assurances and insurance and insurance on our lives and our loved ones by taking the vaccine. Have you been able to determine who is using the service? Is it the disabled, the elderly, are young people using it? Uh, I would say all of the above, in the especially in the rural part of the state, because we, when you get into some areas like the Mississippi Delta, you have individuals who live. 20 plus miles away from the test or vaccine site and it gets to be impossible for them to be able to afford to pay someone to carry them. So it would be all of the above that you mentioned that we have seen uh, getting on our rides and moving to the uh, area. Probably more of the elderly than the uh, young, but we have seen them all. Willie Simmons, MDOC Commissioner for the Central District. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this. Thank you, Ms. Frazier, and always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Mississippi remains last in the nation in vaccination rates as of May 26th. Fewer than 27 percent of Mississippians have been fully vaccinated. Coming up, don't be squeamish. We'll take a look at Mississippi's blood supply. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Healthcare systems across the United States have struggled with blood shortages throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Even as restrictions now lift, Mississippi's blood supply lags well behind what's needed. Merle Eldridge is the director of donor recruitment and mobile collections at Mississippi Blood Services. In the conversation with MPB's Rob Lane, she warns that summer is an especially bad time to run low on blood. Right now, Mississippi's blood supply is probably the lowest it has been 
possibly ever. Um, we've been challenged over the past year because of the pandemic, as with many, on um, recruiting donors to come in. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is we need anywhere from 250 to 300 donors every single day to meet the needs of our hospitals. And over the course of the last um, six to 10 months, we've been lucky to see 150 to 200. Now, just to be clear, can you confirm that for someone concerned about contracting COVID-19 by giving blood, is giving blood safe? Absolutely. Giving blood is safe and it's essential. Um, We are taking all of the steps to keep our donors safe, as we always have with additional cleaning. Um, We are still requiring masks of both our donors and our staff just to ensure safety of our donors. And as far as um, contracting um, COVID-19 as a donor, um, that is not a concern that should be keeping you from donating blood. In a typical non-pandemic year, historically, have you seen the amount of blood donated during the summer months typically increase or decrease? Summer months have always been challenging. In the past, it's been, you know, people going on vacation, they're out of school and just enjoying their free time and not making time to come in and donate blood. This summer has already started off to be probably three times more challenging than your typical summer. Um, And as you were saying earlier, too, this is a national problem. It's not just here in Mississippi. And so um, this could possibly be the hardest summer we've ever experienced. And once someone gives blood, how long is that blood usable for? Um, One donation of blood typically, well, I'm sorry, um, a donation of one unit lasts for 42 days for whole blood, and even less than that, it's just a matter of days for your platelet donations. So essentially, if somebody donated during the winter, that does not mean that you could have sort of a stockpile that you could use to sustain yourselves during the summer. No, not at all. And and really the scary part is if you look at Mississippi Blood Services shelves right now, many of them are not just empty, but have been empty. And when we say empty, I'm, I'm telling you there are zero Um, O negative, there are zero O positive on many days. Um, We track ours according to the day supply, and every single blood type, with the exception of AB pos, AB neg, and A pos, we have less than a one-day supply. And again, many of those being completely empty shelves. And during the summer, people are often more inclined to participate in high-risk outdoor activities like water sports or off-roading. And does that increase the demand for blood in hospitals? It really does. As we come into Memorial Day holidays and many other um, events throughout the summer with people traveling, um, the need for blood definitely goes up. And the scary part of that is the need for O negative goes up even more. Um, a typical accident could require, or a vehicle accident could require anywhere from 50 to 100 units of blood, all of which are usually O neg when they don't know the blood type of the donor, um, I'm sorry, of the patient. And so it's very important that we have that supply on hand beforehand in the event of those emergencies. So for a Mississippian who maybe wants to help out with this, what would you say the easiest way to give blood is? 
we have tried to make donating blood as easy as possible. Um, we have anywhere from five to ten blood drives every single day across the state. Um, you can visit our website, which is msblood.com, and find blood drives near you. Um, you can call our center, which is 601-368-2673, and that staff will help you find a location near you. Um, we've also added that you can complete your donor history on the day of your donation before you arrive to donate to save you a little time. Um, so we have tried everything possible to make it just as easy as we can so that time is not an issue um, for you coming out and saving lives. Merle Eldridge is the Director of Donor Recruitment and Mobile Collections at Mississippi Blood Services. Merle, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.